Today's scripture is from Mark 12. We're going to go through verses 28 through 34. Thursday this week, John reached out to me and asked if I would lead today's service. He said he was feeling sick on Wednesday. We know that he was feeling sick on Wednesday, and it unfortunately turns out that he's had the flu. And it's my understanding that he's really not been feeling very good at all, nor has many people in our service and in our community. But of course, it is an absolute joy any time I get the opportunity to preach God's word and to serve this church. So I am just absolutely overjoyed for the opportunity. I love the providence of the Lord that we would get to study the greatest commandment when Valentine's Day is just in a couple days. I was uh, basically making finishing touches and uh, yesterday on my message, and I just realized it then that Valentine's Day was this week. You'd think that would be on my mind. <laughs> but I realized it. I was like, oh, how appropriate. But our scripture reading is from Mark 12 again, verses 28 through 34. If you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all of the heart, and with all of the understanding, and with all of the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, No one dared to ask him any more questions. It's a word of God for the people of God. Now the 12th chapter of Mark is filled with attacks against Jesus. In verse 13, I preached about this two weeks ago, the Pharisees and the Herodians try to trap Jesus in his talk by a question about taxes. Last week, Verses 18 through 23, the Sadducees attempt to stump Jesus with a question about the resurrection. In today's scripture, there is another group, the scribes. Now the scribes, you may know this, were responsible for copying scripture. This was one of the most sacred things a Jew could do at the time, and as such, they took it very seriously. When they copied scripture, they did nothing by memory, but instead they would put scroll next to the scroll they're copying on and go back and forth, letter by letter, mark by mark, until the scroll they were writing was finished or until the Old Testament at the time was finished. 
This was a process that would take something along 15 months of like 40-hour work weeks in order to copy the entire Old Testament. So I say this to make the point there was likely no other group that had better understanding or more knowledge about the law. These were people who could likely recite the entirety of the Torah to you. So it seems to me an incredibly appropriate question that they would ask Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? It's important to note that instead of these scribes rushing to ask Jesus questions like other groups have, they stood back and listened. One particular scribe observed that Jesus was answering all of the people well. And so we see a stark contrast with this scribe's question. In it, there is no flattery, there's no deception, and there is no venom dripping from his lips. Instead, he asks the genuine question of Jesus, what is the most important commandment of all? You might ask yourself, what is the most important? Is it that I should not murder? Is it that I should honor my parents? Or is it that I should not covet? Now, I believe the scribe was asking a question that went beyond which of the 613 laws were the most important. He was looking for an answer to a a, a debate that had become a great topic during their time, which was, what is the essence of the law? Or what is the law that all other laws are bound upon? You might also ask the question, if you could summarize the law in one command, what would it be? Other places in scripture have answered this in their own ways. For example, in Micah 6, we read, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Right? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now Jesus chooses instead to quote Deuteronomy 6, something known as the Shema. It's a very common, it's probably one of the most popular verses in the Torah. It's a word that means listen. Jesus answers the scribe. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Now, before Moses had given this command in Deuteronomy, the one that Jesus is now repeating, he had told the Israelites that it was a summary of the statutes and rules that God would give them for him to teach. But Jesus also gave a second command, one that he says is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the command to love one's neighbor is written upon the folds of the command to love God. After all, it is hard for us to imagine 
how one would love God, but not love the creation God made in his own image. In 1 John chapter 4, starting verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then later in that same chapter, we read, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have heard from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The command to love our neighbor is inseparable from the command to love our God because as scripture points out, to fail to do one is to also fail to do the other. In other translations, namely the New King James, the scribes ask their question in a slightly different way. And they say, which is the first commandment of all instead of which is the most important? Now, for interpretation purposes, or even concerning Jesus' answer, these questions are synonymous. But asking it in this way helps us see the answer from another angle. When God created us in his image, he did so not only in appearance, but also in behavior. Before it was necessary for God to give any other command, it was written on Adam and Eve's heart. Indeed, it is written on our hearts today that you shall love the Lord your God. God is the definition of love. Love permeates all that our Lord does. Thus it follows that we too, if we were made in his image by nature, we were meant to love and to only love and to be loved. It was when sin entered the world, however, when things started to change. It was then when the divine purpose of our creation was corrupted. We were made for love's sake, but sin introduced to us a whole host of things. Selfishness, deceit, envy, hatred, and all sorts of evil. Therefore, what this command is meant to be, indeed what the law is meant to be, is a restoration of all that we have lost in the fall. No greater any other command than the command to love the Lord our God with our entire being and to love our neighbor. For us to do this is for us to gain something that we have lost. To restore ourselves back into the Lord's will. But it's clear. It's clear that God requires from us more than just obedience. That's abundantly clear to me. In fact... We read a scripture that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much we know, we say, 
doesn't matter how much we do if we don't have love. If we are not fulfilling this greatest commandment, it is as though we have not fulfilled any commandment. I'll read to you 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul makes the same point in three different ways. He wants us to know that you can speak eloquently and powerfully, even as angels do. But if you don't have love, you are nothing more than a clanging gong, a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. That is a loud, obnoxious noise in the ears of God. If you have all spiritual gifts, if you understand all things, all mysteries, if you know everything, Paul says, everything there is to know, you're the greatest theologian alive. He says, even if you have faith, hear that, even if you have faith to remove mountains, but you don't have love, you are nothing, Paul says. If you give away all that you have, all of your possessions, even if you give your own life, but you don't have love, you've gained nothing. The point is abundantly clear, church. If you do not have love, you have nothing at all. And you are nothing at all. This was the issue of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, they obeyed the law to a T. They loved the law so much that they made more arbitrary laws just so that they could follow those too. These guys were crazy about the law. And they thought they were just the best thing ever. They thought they had surely earned God's approval. That they had set themselves apart from any other person because they obey the law the way they do. But here's the issue. In reality, they were never, not once, obedient to the law. They failed all of it. Because they did not truly love God. They did not love people. Though obedient, they did not have love. If they did love God, they would have loved the Lord their God and they would have not crucified our Lord Jesus. Beware that you too are like this. That you too slip into this obedient cycle but lack love in your heart for the Lord. This church, it's so easy. It's extremely easy. And you won't even realize that it's happened. You will go to church. You'll tithe. You'll sing the hymns. You'll listen to the word. And you might even enjoy it all, but never love the Lord in the process. But never actually worship him. It is so easy to get this way. It is so easy to go through the, the motions. So I want you to hear this command from the Lord today. I want you to hear the Lord 
drawing you back to himself. Love me, church, is the Lord saying. Love me with all that you have. Other commands that the Lord has given are directed towards actions and behaviors. You know, these are simple enough. Just be obedient. You know, don't worship other gods. Sure. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Fine. Don't murder. Wasn't planning on it. Don't commit adultery. Not that either. And so on. Right? We can obey commands. But as I read Jesus' words, I am struck by how odd of a thing it is for him to command our love. I'm confronted with an issue. I can change my behavior when commanded, but I am powerless to change anything about my heart. After all, that's certainly not how it works in the world. I cannot command anyone to like me, much less to love me. And if I tried to do that, it would probably garner the opposite response. If I just screamed, love me, that doesn't work, does it? It's not as though we can flip a switch in our hearts and turn us from an attitude of indifference to an attitude of affection. I can't make myself feel anything. But nevertheless, God commands my heart to love him. But that's not all. God commands us not just to love us with our heart. He commands us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. God commands a love from us that comes from every fiber of our being. As though we live, we wake up in the morning with the expressed desire to love and please God. And this is the most important commandment, no less. The one that we are powerless to do. There are times in the life of any Christian that we doubt whether or not we truly love the Lord. In dark seasons, it can become hard to worship, pray, study like we usually do. We get distracted by life and everything that's going around us. You know, we all have routines at home, and, but we also know that God isn't always part of it. Not always part of it. Or at times, if we look at it from another perspective, some of us question if we really love the Lord because of ongoing sin in our lives. We ask ourselves, if I really love the Lord would I still be doing this? And my friends, that might be a legitimate question. Church, let me ask you this morning. I know it's an odd question, but do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord the way that he is commanding you to today? Take a look at your life. Now, I'd like to read to you a poem. It's from a man named John Newton. You might know him as the author of Amazing Grace, But the poem is called, Tis a Point I Long to Know. And in it, he grapples with that very thought. And I'd like for you just to take a second and just really try to listen to it. I know sometimes when you read poetry, it's something that just kind of goes out one ear and another. As a man, that happens. 
But I want to encourage you to really try to listen to these words. So John Newton says, "'Tis a point I long to know. Oft it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not? If I love, why am I thus? Why this dull and lifeless frame? Hardly sure can they be worse who have never heard his name. Could my heart so hard remain Prayer a task and burden prove. Every trifle give me pain if I knew a Savior's love. When I turn my eyes within, all is dark and vain and wild. Filled with unbelief and sin, can I deem myself a child? If I pray or hear or read, sin is mixed with all I do. You that love the Lord indeed, tell me, is it thus with you? Yet I mourn my stubborn will. I find my grief, my sin a grief and thrall. Should I grieve for what I feel if I did not love at all? Could I, joy his saints to meet, choose the ways I once abhorred, find at times the promise sweet if I did not love the Lord? Lord, decide the doubtful case. Thou who art thy people's son, shine upon thy work of grace, if it indeed begun. Let me love thee more and more, if I love at all, I pray. If I have not loved before, help me to begin today. Newton asks the beautiful question. I think which summarizes the whole idea in our hearts. If I love, why am I thus? It's a question that troubles the heart of many Christians. And I'm afraid I might trouble a little bit further before I reel you back in. Why do we sin? When we sin, it is because at least in the moment... We love its fleeting pleasures more than we do the everlasting joy and fulfillment freely offered by the Father. If we have a problem with sin, the root is not our willpower. The root is our love for God. Our love is the issue. Consider a man who has cheated on his wife. When he's caught, the wife may ask, how could you have done this? And he might say, it was an honest mistake. It meant nothing to me. Honey, I love you. I don't know what came over me. And say the wife forgives him. But in a year's time, they find themselves in the same situation. And again, he says, it was a mistake. This person means nothing to me. Honey, I love you. I don't know what came over me. Would it not be appropriate then... For the wife to say, if you had loved me, you wouldn't have done this. Correct? The man did what he did because he loved the temporary pleasure of cheating, of sin, than he did his wife. And my friends, it is the same exact thing with God. We will never stop sinning Until we can love the Lord our God 
with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our mind, and with all of our strength. But there lies the issue. We cannot make our hearts do anything. That's why Newton asks this beautiful question. If I love, why am I thus? Now the good news for us is that God is not oblivious to the condition of our hearts. Yes, our Lord knows our hearts even better than we do. He also knows, remember, that we, as sinful beings, are not capable of following the law. If we were not capable of following the law, then we're not truly capable of obeying the greatest commandment either, to love the Lord our God with all of our being. But hear this in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. Our Lord promises to do something about it. He says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will give you my spirit and my spirit will cause you to be able to obey my statutes and my rules. So our God gives us what can seem like an impossible command to love him. So we can't make ourselves do anything. But at the same time, he promises to give us the kind of heart that is capable of that love. My friends, God is greater than our heart. We read that in 1 John 3, 19 through 20. By this we shall know that we are in the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. But you may say, but I don't even know if I have this new heart. I don't even know if I have this new heart. And to that person, let me just say that God has not made it difficult for us to fall in love with him with our entire being. God has not made that difficult on us. It is one thing for a hypothetical distant deity to command its subjects to love it. But God is not distant from any one of us And he has given us every single reason to love him with our entire being. The biggest reason stated in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. How do we come to love the Lord? By acknowledging and receiving the depths and the glory, the heights, the depths, the widths, of God's love into our life. Until you, church, can understand, you can truly feel and know the kind of love that the Father has for you, that he would give his only son to die in your stead. Until you can know that love, of course it will be hard. 
my friends, meditate upon these things. Because even though we did not love God, he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. 1 John 3, 1 exclaims, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We love God because even when we're unfaithful, he is faithful. All creation, everything we look around us, as I prayed this morning, testifies to us how great he is. Our Lord is slow to anger, but mighty in power, and he by no means clears the unjust. He holds justice in all ways. He is perfect in all of his ways. And we can make a list about all of the lovable qualities that will literally go on forever. That's how lovable he is. That's how perfect he is. And you know, church, even that is a reason to say why we love him. Because there's endless reasons. I encourage you this morning, meditate upon these things. I encourage you to pray like the psalmists do. That God would incline your heart to him. I encourage you to pray John Newton's prayer. Let me love thee more and more. If I love at all, I pray. If I have not loved before, let me begin today. Now, church, if you will please stand. We are going to sing a closing hymn. And after we have sung that closing hymn, I will welcome you into a time of meditation. And for anyone who would like to come up, for whatever reason that might be, we want to give you that option now.